Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Post, a Redemption Church podcast where every week, post-service, post-weekend, post-sermon, we dive in deeper and hopefully give you, our listener, a guidepost in your midweek to help you further connect to Jesus for life change. I am your host, J.P. Gaylord, and today we have with us Josh Tovey. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It, it is past Thanksgiving. We are allowed to say Merry Christmas. And Justin Kemmer. You also have my permission to listen to Christmas music now. I and have we all been needed waiting. it. You yep. couldn't do yep. it until he's. You have it. my permission. I got the Spotify playlist already, but now we can hit play. Uh, among the other topics today, we'll be unpacking part of John twenty-one. Uh, so let's dive in and see what God has for us. Welcome to the post. So, uh, how are you guys this Thanksgivings? Go blue. Go blue. There it is. Not even talking about the meal. We don't need Thanksgiving. No. Finally. We don't need no turkey. We did it. Finally, and I, and we I did it. I said we. We. Justin's a season ticket holder of the University of Michigan football program. That's impressive. He never well, goes. It, it, it was a fortunate event acquiring the tickets a few years back. Because normally there's like a huge fee to be on a list. Yeah. Right? Because there's... You know, because it's Michigan. Yeah, I won. I won a lottery to get the season tickets. Now I mainly sell them. So very good. But Justin. oh, back to the turkey. Oh, thanks. What are we thankful for? <laughs> yeah. Now we we had a good week. We traveled to Pennsylvania uh, via Buffalo, uh, where I grew up, simply to pick up food, pizza and wings, specifically real chicken wings that you can't find. In West Michigan. So like Wing Street from like Pizza Hut, is it going to be the same thing as what you had? I don't know. I think Buffalo Wild Wings comes pretty yeah, close. Yeah, Buffalo Wild Wings has the name in it. Listen, they, they have sauces that are tasty. And I'm going to I'm gonna eat every wing. I'm going to eat bad wings. It's, it's just like pizza. You love pizza. You're going to even eat a bad, bad pizza. Same is true for a wing. Notice, you don't even have to say chicken wing because you know what a wing is is by definition. So we we detoured an hour. Could be a or turkey two. wing. A turkey nope, wing. No. Nope. You you just know. You just know. We made a detour, made a 10-hour trip, a 12-hour trip just to get food in Buffalo. And then we took some to our family. So that was even better than the Thanksgiving meal. That that does sound delicious. Thanksgiving so. food was was good. It's it's I like the sides better than the turkey and I do a lot to my turkey. Yeah, you said you were going to use the spatchcock method for your yeah, turkey. Yeah, I, I actually brine it. I brine it in a bucket on Monday night over through the night. And then Tuesday, Wednesday night, it kind of dries out in the fridge so the skin can be crispy. I put a, Was it though? It was, yeah. I put a rub on it and then I, t- I soften butter with rosemary and thyme and I cover the whole thing in in this rosemary thyme butter and then I season it again on top and I also inject butter inside the turkey. You can't do any more than what I did to this turkey. And it's still, I only need it one time a year. (laughs) (laughs) Turkey, not Josh's favorite. Uh, Have you guys been able to decorate your homes or have your significant others been able to decorate your homes for Christmas already? We broke the rule and decorated earlier this year. Don't tell Justin. Here's the confession time. That we had to break the rule too. 
because we were going to be gone on Thanksgiving and tradition is actually getting our tree the day after Thanksgiving. And we could not, looking at our schedules when we got back after Thanksgiving, we were like, when are we going to get a tree? We won't have a tree till like December 15 when we had time. So after all the fanfare, we had to do something Christmassy before Thanksgiving and our tree was up before, wow, we, before wow, we traveled. Wow. You know, I love how dogmatic you were about this uh, when we talked about Christmas music and how adamant you were. Uh, and then you go ahead and break your own rules. I can only hope that in your spiritual life, things are a little more consistent. <laughs> uh, I, I hope so too. I uh, can't, can't, may not be able to guarantee that either. Um, but you can you can ask my my wife, my family. I was a little I was a little cranky doing it. I mean, we're we're breaking the rules, is what I kept on saying. So <laughs> I, I was defiant. Maybe that's not the right word, but so we so you did. were aware that this was not not was, a consistent activity for you. I was aware that I was sinning against Thanksgiving. <laughs> sinning against Thanksgiving. And I forgive you. Yep. Sounds like a biblical phrase. Gobble, gobble. Hey, when you guys go get trees, you go with your whole family, right? Yes. We also did a fake tree this year. So it's another, oh. another depth of, of, you know, my mom gave me a tree that they weren't using. We're going to be gone in Florida the week of leaving Christmas day. So I'm like, we're not going to be here to really enjoy the tree the actual week. So I'm just like, I don't, want to go buy an expensive tree. So. We, we take the family and my my family may not enjoy it because I'm after the perfect tree. And so I'm going to walk around the tree farm until I, I find that perfect tree. So That we, was born for you. We may be committed to a, to a two-hour adventure to get our tree. And so an enjoyable experience may turn into a, a hate fest. By the end, because we're all angry at, everyone's angry at me because I'm taking forever. Yeah, that's that's uh, Stephanie, uh, my Stephanie. She she has a perfect tree in mind. Uh, this year, it had short needles on it in her mind. Okay. And so when we started looking at long needled trees, she just wasn't having any of it. Well, yeah, um, she needs the tree that was born for her. Yep, exactly. Right. And uh, I... I I would love to hear from our listeners. Go go on Facebook and check out the post uh, for this week and respond to, to the question about whether or not Christmas tree shopping for you and your family is a pleasant, fun activity or if it, it tends to be laden with disagreements, arguing, and somebody pouting uh, because we definitely had some people pouting during our experience. Years. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I would say for us, we went to, we have gotten a tree, real tree the last couple of years, but two years ago we went and, or it might've been last year and our youngest Johnny, when they put the tree on the, on the like pokey thing that shakes it, you know what I mean? So the needles, the dead needles kind of fall out because of his cochlear implants, he didn't know what was going to happen. And he flipped out. And for two weeks after he always sat, the dining room table could always see the tree. He screamed his head off. And so this time we put the fake tree up and he goes, I'm not scared of the tree. <laughs> so we're like, we're grateful that, you know, Christmas isn't just constant screaming right now. That's good. That is good. Well, let's jump into some more serious questions uh, about the message that we heard this past week. Uh, Austin touched on John 21 and essentially the story of the reinstatement of Peter. So for those who aren't aware, uh, Peter denied Jesus before his crucifixion. Uh, three times he denies Jesus. And then in John 21, we get the story of the disciples going out fishing. 
Jesus showing up on the store shore and uh, Peter recognizes him, jumps into the water, runs back. And then Peter and Jesus have this conversation where Jesus asks Peter three times, do you really love me? Uh, and so it's widely seen as the reinstatement of Peter, where Peter could have walked away from the initial denials, thinking he was a failure, feeling like he was no good for ministry or any use in the kingdom. Here, Jesus is reassuring him. And so in the sermon, Austin had really leaned into two questions. Uh, the first one was, does God still love me after I screw up over and over? That was his words from the sermon. And the second question is, can God still use me after I screw up over and over? So I just wanted to start out with uh, with you guys uh, and just see what what do you think of, of those questions and of the stories, uh, original or what, what are your impressions? I, I thought the message was, was great. And so if you didn't get a chance to listen to it because you were out for the weekend, I would encourage you to take time to go back and listen to it. Really enforce some of our DNA too, of just God has you, has you to advance the gospel through you kind of stuff, which is, which is great. Um, but so, but those two questions are, I think are real questions that, that we wrestle with. And I, I think one of the starting places in my mind is, is where is, I guess is what, how do I view the gospel? Because is the gospel, is the center of the gospel me or is it Jesus in that sense, right? Because that shapes the lens through which we look through, right? And so the first question being, does, is God still love me? Is God still for me? If I, if I, if I blow it, but if we understand he's at the center, it's in his sovereignty that he's gonna fully know everything that we're going to do before we even do it. And in spite of all that he knows in his sovereignty, which is everything, he still chose to grant us himself, grace, love, forgiveness kind of stuff. And so he's fully aware of what we are not yet aware of in our own failure, you know? And so I think the gospel gives us a lot of hope uh, to, to realize that even in the face of our greatest failures, God knew that we were going to fail. He's not surprised by it. And yet he's still there to, to wanna pick up the pieces. And so even with Peter, back to bring it back to John 21, I think oftentimes we use our sin and we check out on the Lord because of that kind of question, because we're afraid of how's God really gonna view me kind of, kind of dynamic. But, but the reality is we see what Peter did in John 21 when they were fishing and Jesus says, throw the nets out there side of the boat. Jesus is standing on the shore. They weren't catching anything. So they finally throw their nuts on the other side of the boat, which is a miracle that Jesus did when he first called them into ministry all the way back in the beginning of the gospels, which was highlighted yesterday as well in the message. Peter realizes it's the Lord. Now, Peter at that point had already denied Jesus three times. And so how does he respond? Well, he, it shows us in the text that he jumped into the water and started swimming to Jesus. Why? I, I think there's something about his shame that he wanted to be dealt with. And he realized the only person who can deal with it is actually Jesus. So he had to get to him as fast as he could. And you know what? I'm gonna get there faster swimming than I am on this boat right now. And so he jumped in to, I think, to get to Christ, right? To be able to deal with his shame. And, and I, think that's a, I think that's a significant factor where I think oftentimes we often check out on our sin because we allow our sin to be the thing to define us versus who Jesus is to be the thing to define us. That's good. So it's a question of what's our primary source of identification. That's good. Justin, do you have any thoughts? Well, even 
if you're talking about the primary source of our identification, we oftentimes, I think, wrestle with two questions, who I am and, and what, what do I do? And so if we're not looking through the lens of the gospel, who I am is, is failure and, and, and what, what do I do? I, I sin. And then we can struggle because the world defines love not as God does, where, where God's love is unconditional. The, the world puts conditions on its love. And so we look, look at love and we, the world oftentimes defines it as an, an approval, an, an approval of who you are and what you've done. And in our relationship with the Lord, well, we know he, he is a holy God. He, he doesn't approve of our, our sin. And so because he doesn't approve it, then, then we conclude that we aren't loved and even oftentimes unlovable because of our failure. When what the gospel proclaims, what the gospel wants to shout into our lives is that no, you are, you are not a failure because of Jesus. You're, you're no longer defined by sin. You are righteous. And again, it's because of Jesus. And, and God is just trying to declare over and over us, I think daily that his love is, un, is unconditional. And so in light of that, knowing who we are in Jesus, then could our same response be just like Peter's where we're, we're running to him because he is, our, is, is what we're always going to need. That's, that's really good. We, we do tend to focus so much on ourselves. Uh, and the irony is we are such a small part oftentimes in the overarching plan of God's kingdom uh, and it's Jesus himself who assures the success of the kingdom. And yet we're convinced that somehow our our failures are going to be ultimately detrimental to the the outcomes. Um, so, I mean, these seem, these seem like easy questions. Uh, I get the sense that if anybody uh, who's been a Christian for any length of time looks at these questions, they know the answer to these is, well, yes, God does still love me after I screw up. And God can still use me after I screw up. Uh, and yet, for some reason, these seem to be incredibly relevant and poignant questions. Even if we know the answers theologically, why do these come up so often? Why is it so hard not just to know the answers, but to, to feel and experience the reality of them? I think it comes back again to identity. So we struggle with our identity. I think that's true. In the gospel, we've talked heavily at redemption about it's who I am that determines what I do. But Justin mentioned love conditionally or unconditionally, God's love versus the world's love. And we know in the world, it's what I do that determines who I am. So those are opposite ideas. And that is always at tension with one another in our, in our own heart. And we have that battle, I think daily, and we struggle with really it's a moralism, legalism versus gospel freedom, gospel grace that I, that, I, that I think we wrestle with. And so because of that, we struggle with this reality. How can it be true that who Jesus says I am determines what I do? Because look at what I do. Like what I do sometimes doesn't align with who he is. So we battle that with our, na- with our nature. And um, 
I battle that. I think we all battle that, right? And so we, we want to define ourselves by our sin, but the gospel doesn't actually do that. The gospel defines us by the sacrifice of Christ, right? And so I think we struggle with this identity tension based on we think what I do determines who I am because that's what it is in the world. Verse who I am in him determines what I do for him. It's really important to get that right. Yeah, I think it's good that you bring up uh, moralism, uh, legalism versus the gospel. Uh, the more I'm a part of redemption, the more I really see this getting played out, uh, what redemption is preaching as the gospel uh, versus what we see in our culture around us and what has kind of become a false gospel to a lot of Christians, especially here in West Michigan, is essentially I do good things so that I can earn approval. Uh, and so I think that that is a, a great distinction to be made that we are accepted and approved because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done. And that confusion, that constant bombardment by this message from the world, which is a false gospel, a false religion, uh, is is difficult to sort out at times. I think this, the struggle, practically speaking, causes some confusion too, because you look in, in scripture and the flesh is weak, but the spirit is strong. Maybe I'm the only one that walks through my day-to-day life. And practically speaking though, it can get confusing because it seems like the opposite. It seems like the, the flesh is strong, but, but the spirit is, is weak, which leads to a life where even relating it to Austin's questions look like a life of, of screwing up over and over and over again. And so biblically speaking, we look and look in God's word and these are easy questions to answer because what are the heroes of, you look at Abraham, look at David, look at, look at Peter. They, they screwed up over and over again. Yet God's love was unconditional. They were still clearly used, but maybe some of the struggle too is that we're, we're still the ones that are screwing up over and over again. And it, and it would appear as you look in scripture that that Abraham, that a David, that a Peter had this defining moment where maybe they weren't really screwing up over and over again. I mean, Peter becomes a, a monster of, of the faith um, and, and his role in the beginning of, of the church. Does that mean he didn't struggle anymore throughout his life? I mean, certainly you look at the testimony of Paul and all of what his life looked like pre-Jesus, yet he still had a thorn in the flesh. And so some of the things I think we wrestle with because we don't know what that, that looks like, but wait, are, am I the only one that's still screwing up over and over again? And, and yes, God's love is unconditional and he did use a ton of screw ups in the Bible, but was there a defining moment where that all ended for, for them? And practically speaking, I, you know, even in the process of sanctification as we're, we're continuing to, to kind of journey through this life, I've heard many say that, that really, this this life and in the in the here and now as as we wait for for Jesus to make all things new, our life will not be sinless, but we will sin less. And even in hearing that, I, I battle that. I just have a battle and a struggle with that as I, as I still look at at my at my own life. Am am I actually sinning less? And, and I don't, I don't know. I, I'd have to, it's just a continual evaluation of our, of my heart and, and, and where I'm at and pressing into the, to the gospel. And what I do know for sure 
is that in our in that sanctification process, as we struggle with what we struggle with each and every day, that that even if it's not specifically sinning less, I do believe it's confessing more. It's that running back to Jesus like Peter. It's getting on our knees. It's pursuing the presence of of the Lord again, because can we still hold on to in the theological and can it invade the practical that his love is unconditional and that he can and will still use me, still use us. Yeah, that's good. As we're talking about this, um, I'm just going to kind of work out some of my my theology, the things I'm thinking, uh, uh, process uh, externally here, which is always a dangerous thing. But it, it almost seems like the the conundrum of First John, where you get in chapter one, uh, John basically says anyone who claims to be without sin is a liar, where he implies that at some level, everybody has sin. Then later on in the book, I think it's chapter three, doesn't he basically say anyone who keeps on sinning is not a true Christian? Uh, and so that's that's the the tension that we're, we're meant to live in. Uh, I know I have sin. I know I shouldn't be sinning. Uh, so how do I work this out? And rather than con- trying to conceive of the Christian life is this uh, this beautiful, you know, walk in the walk through the fields, holding hands with Jesus. Uh, there are probably moments that are meant to be like that, but much of Christian life is actually a struggle. Uh, and we use the, the the term sanctification. Another word I've heard with that is a mortification of the flesh, which is where you are actively putting to death the sinful desires, which is a pretty brutal and violent thing to have to do when it comes to your thoughts and your desires and, and things that are still active within you. Uh, so it, it's probably also, uh, these are probably good questions because it's something that we go through on, on a daily basis. Now to, to pivot a little bit, I do want to ask the question, uh, is there a limit or are there conditions on this? Uh, I've been in a number of conversations in which uh, specifically pastors who have committed some kind of moral failure, uh, that topic has come up and whether or not they should be reinstated to ministry. Uh, and I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Uh, we can answer theologically, does God still love me after I screw up over and over? Yes. Can God still use me after I screw up over and over? Yes. But then we feel this tension uh, as certain people commit uh, incredible moral failures. Uh, what does that look like in those circumstances? This is a heavy question. You know, and we know in the Bible that the call of elder is a high calling in someone's life. We, do, we know that. But we also know that every person who fills the role of elder is also a sinner, right? We, we wear the flesh still and have sinful tendencies and, and desires, but yet we have the spirit that motivates us to want to put our our flesh to death, right? And and live our life to make much of the Lord. And that's how somebody becomes an elder in that sense. Like this is someone to follow. But we also would acknowledge that all Christians are called to strive towards that kind of role and leadership in the sense of um, being someone to follow, right? Um, and and I think it's like, hey, we can make, we could make just blanket statements, black and white statements that, Anyone who sins and then you get to decide what those sins are, that they're disqualified for ministry. And and I'm just not, 
I'm so gentle and careful to make statements like that because I think everything should be taken case by case. I think details matter. I think the scenario and the context matters. I think how someone responds in their sin matters. I think the confession piece matters. I, I think being sometimes caught with something versus confessing something, those are all different dynamics that I think can lead to different outcomes. And so um, I am uncomfortable to make a black and white statement about someone should they be in ministry, not being in ministry just based on a sin without knowing the specific context around those choices, I think matter to the Lord, you know? And, and all that to be said, even if a pastor disqualifies themselves, they're not disqualified from doing things of ministry. And that's true for every person. You know, we, every person's called to ministry. So that, so that means that your job actually, even if you get a paycheck from the job that you do, that, that doesn't matter in the scheme of what God has called you to do. Like he's called you to make disciples. He's called you to, we, we talked about throwing your gospel nuts down and, and deeper waters on, 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 on Sunday morning. Like he's called every Christian to those things first and foremost before he's called you to another, another job. And so while everyone gets paid through different avenues, we're all called in some level, right? To be getting after the things that the Bible calls believers to get after. That's good. Justin, any thoughts? Do you want to go uh, black and white on this issue or are you comfortable living in the tension? Uh, I'm comfortable living in the, in the tension. I think even some making a black and white statement would disqualify a lot of the heroes that we would see in the Old Testament. And so would, would David not be qualified to be a pastor, be, be an elder? Um, and so that, that, that's, that is, I think that just adds to the, to the tension um, where he was king of God's people, but in some context where black and white statements are made, he, he wouldn't be qualified to be in ministry as, as a pastor or, or elder. And so what, what we really can land on concrete is that the gospel does redeem and it does redeem your ministry it doesn't mean it's wise for that ministry and, and right for that ministry to be a specific position and role as, as pastor and elder. And so as the gospel redeems, wisdom also still continues to lead, lead the way. But what we can be concrete is that a ministry through what the Lord redeems is, is absolutely restored. And, and that really is wherever you are because God has you where he has you to advance the gospel through you and, and a redeemed life by the gospel that that's never going to change. That's good. I, I remember working with a church probably about 10 years ago or so, and they were preparing to go through a series on the life of David and uh, to prepare the worship team, the, the, the people who would be preaching, uh, the communications team all had to read through the section of scriptures that we were going to be covering and uh, I think a fair number of people had gone into that exercise uh, thinking David is a real hero of the faith. What a great guy. He's a man after God's own heart. You know, a lot of the things we learn in, in Sunday school. And I remember sitting down for the, the first meeting, waiting for everybody to get there. And in a uh, discussion with one of the uh, people in the communications department, she said, David absolutely disgusts me. Uh, because, you know, you, you get the Sunday school 
version uh, and, and you hear David's a man after God's own heart. Uh, but when you get down to the nitty gritty of his life and the things he did, the things he failed to do in his family, you realize that, yeah, in a lot of cases, this guy, uh, it, it would have been a, a long discussion uh, before you hired him into a church uh, in any case. So, but I mean, just to, to even go back to what I hear you guys saying, it sounds like essentially we are saying that the answer to the, these two questions is yes. Does God still love me after I screw up? Yes, 100%. Can God still use me after I screw up? Yes, 100%. But the caveat seems to be, Sin does have consequences. The answer to those questions is still yes, but in the case of how will God continue to use me for his kingdom, it might look a little bit different. And in some of the cases that we've been talking about, we're kind of talking about professional ministry where I get paid to be a pastor or I get paid to do certain things for the church and for God's people. And that might change. That might need to change out of wisdom and because of the situations. Uh, but no matter where you are, God has you where he has you to advance the gospel through you, whether you're being paid to do ministry or whether you're just going about a nine to five job, you are there to continue to advance the gospel to be a fisher of men. I agree. And I think we have a standard in the Bible of eldership to withhold pastors too. But I also want our people to realize, to know that every one of our pastors, we battle. We battle the flesh. We have crazy insecurities. We have sin tendencies. Um, what we encourage our own people to work out with fear and trembling in their homes and their lives and their marriages, we need to do the same, you know? And so while the standard's high, um, we want to strive after the standard that God has for us for sure. But we also need to realize that even pastors are human, you know, and, and we have our own things we're battling and our own struggles and we need grace and we need to have the gospel preached to ourselves. And we need all of the things that anyone else would need and, and require. Um, we as pastors need the same. And, and I think what happens of when things go bad for pastors is, is when there's not freedom to really wrestle with those things within the community they're in. Yeah. Uh, any parting thoughts on this, Justin? Nope. Well said. I, I love this. Uh, everything just comes back to Jesus as the only one who can do these things. The only one who can love us. The only one who can give us grace. The only one who can essentially give us purpose. If we try and make a pastor into that kind of thing, it sets everybody up for failure and disappointment. Uh, and so once again, we want to point you back to Jesus. Uh, for, for love, for mission, for purpose in life uh, because he is the only one from which we can derive those things. We want to thank you for joining us here on The Post. If you haven't already, we'd encourage you to click follow, subscribe, or like on your podcasting app to make sure you get notified when re we release an episode. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear those. Just connect with us via email, at, which is info at redemptionmi.org where you can send us a message on social media is at Redemption MI on Facebook or Redemption Church MI on Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.